Would you please take the Word of God and turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Acts in chapter 7. <clears throat> Acts chapter 7, as you're uh, turning there, we've been spending quite a bit of time in this sermon, and someone may say, well, why are you spending so much time in this sermon? I think we would all agree that during the time of the first century apostles, they preached many messages. Uh, indeed, many times the Bible tells us they preached the gospel. But often those messages and those sermons are not recorded. But this one is. And there's a reason for us uh, to look at this sermon and to pay close attention to what Stephen, by the way, who, who was not an apostle, who was what we will refer to as one of the first deacons in the church, he preaches this sermon before the Sanhedrin council after being falsely accused of speaking blasphemous words against Moses, against the temple, against God, against the law. And the high priest gives an, an opportunity for Stephen to respond to this accusation in Stephen from Acts chapter 7 verse 2 all the way through verse 35 is going to preach what is in the book of Acts the longest recorded sermon. We know that the Apostle Paul preached a longer sermon, but it's not recorded. He preached till midnight one night. Amen? Maybe we'll have to try that sometime. We'll see. But we've looked at, in this sermon, he breaks it up into three main sections. The first one, he deals with Abraham and the covenant that God made with Abraham. And what he is seeking to show is that this idea of Jesus Christ being the Messiah is not some new doctrine. As a matter of fact... In the book of Galatians, the Bible tells us that the gospel was preached unto Abraham and he believed not in seeds, as in multiple seeds, but as in seed, which is Christ. When God told Abraham, in, um, I will bless thee and in thy seed shall all families of the earth be blessed. And so he seeks to show the Sanhedrin council that this is no new doctrine. He goes on to show them that the pattern of behavior with their forefathers. He shows them that Joseph was rejected of his brethren, the patriarchs. And yet Joseph was the one ultimately who delivered them. And he seeks to show them that they've done the same with Christ. Just as the patriarchs envied Joseph, so the Jews of the day envied the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Pilate said. He said he, had knew, he knew for envy they had delivered him. And now we've looked at this bigger section which Stephen deals here with Moses and he shows them, if you remember, let me review quickly here, what he had said about the nation of Israel and where did they go wrong. And Stephen seeks to show them that they went wrong, our forefathers went wrong with Moses in three ways. In verse 25 the Bible says, they understood not. What did they not understand? that God, by the hand of Moses, would deliver them, so they did not understand. Where also did they go wrong? Verse 35, the Bible tells us, this Moses whom they refused, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge? The same did God send to be a ruler and a deliverer. And so they not only did not understand, but then they refused God's deliverer in Moses. But there's a third thing that they did. In verse 39, to whom our fathers would not obey. When God gave the law to the children of Israel, the children of Israel before the law was given says, whatever God says, 
we will do. And then the law is given and they did not obey it. And so Stephen shows the Sanhedrin council that the nation of Israel has gone wrong in three ways. They, concerning Moses, they did not understand. They refused him as their deliverer and they would not obey God's message through Moses and they had done the same with Jesus Christ. They had not understood that Jesus Christ was there to deliver them. Therefore, they refused Jesus Christ and they would not obey him. But then last week we looked at why? We know what they did, but why did they do it? And Stephen goes on to show them that in verse 39, and that's what we'll begin reading here. Well, let's go back to verse 37. This is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake to him on the Mount Sinai and with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto us. To whom our fathers would not obey but thrust him from them and in their hearts turned back again into Egypt, saying unto Aaron, Make us gods to go before us. For as for this Moses which brought us out of the land of Egypt, we would not what is become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered sacrifice unto the idol and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. Then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven as it is written in the book of the prophets, O ye house of Israel, have ye offered to me slain beasts and sacrifices by the space of forty years in the wilderness? Yea, ye took up the tabernacle of Moloch and of the star of your God, Rephan, figures which ye made to worship them, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. We notice here where they went wrong. Last week we mentioned that in verse 39, their wicked hearts turned. And then we also notice that he goes on to say that they began to question, well, where is this Moses? We read in the book of Exodus that they wanted to appoint a new captain over them. And so we see that time and time again, every time the children of Israel said, we want to go back to Egypt, was when their circumstances began to be difficult. Whether it was a lack of food, whether it was no water, uh, whether they were standing in front of the sea uh, with the Egyptians on their back, every time uh, they were experiencing trouble, they said, let's go back to Egypt. We had it better there. What was that? That is the raging passions of the flesh. What were they saying? We want the honey. We want the cucumbers. We want the onions. We want the garlic. And they forgot that they were slaves. What is that attributed to? The wickedness of their heart, but the raging passions of the flesh. And thirdly, we see the pride of rejoicing in their own works. They made gods unto themselves. And the Bible tells us, notice with me, in verse 41, they rejoiced in the works of their own hands. They brought the calf and they said, these are the gods that have brought us out of Egypt. Pride. And then they said, look at what we've done. Not look at what God has done in bringing us out, but look at what we've done. You see, the root of unbelief is rooted in those three things as we see Stephen expound upon the wickedness of the heart, the raging passions of the flesh, and the pride of rejoicing in their own works.
But I have another question now as Stephen continues. He's not done. I want to ask this question at this time as we come to verse 42 and 43. How did God respond to them? How did God respond to them? Notice verse 42. Then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven as it is written in the book of the prophets. O ye house of Israel... Have ye offered to me slain beasts and sacrifices by the space of forty years in the wilderness? Yea, ye took up the tabernacle of Moloch and of the star of your god Rephan, figures which ye made to worship them, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. There are three ways here that we see how God responds to sin, and Stephen is going to point this out in this sermon. And we will find this to be, by the way, the record all throughout Scripture. God does a great thing for man. Man sins, and we know why he sins. But then how does God respond to that? I want us to notice three things, and I'll give them to you, and then I'll give them to you, and then we'll expound on those. First of all, this is how God responds to sin. Number one, God turned. Secondly, God gave them up. And thirdly, God carried them away into Babylon. I want to look at the first one as we begin this morning in this study. First of all, uh, how does God respond to sin? How did God respond to the nation of Israel and their wickedness and their hearts and their pride and the raging passions of the flesh? What did God do as He saw what the nation of Israel did? First of all, the Bible tells us that He turns from sin. That's what God does. The Bible says, notice with me verse 42, after we read all that they did and why they did it, the Bible tells us how God responded to what they did. And notice the first word in verse 42, then. The word then is an important one to begin with. God did not turn from them arbitrarily. He he turned from them then. Something happened before the then. Uh, You see, what happened before the then, we read here just a a few verses prior that in verse 39, that in their hearts... They had turned back again into Egypt. You see, God turned from them after they themselves had turned in their hearts from Him back into Egypt. Uh, there, is, there are three characteristics that we noted in their turning from God. They turned in their hearts, their passions were following the fleshly appetites, and in their pride they defiled themselves. This uh, cause. God to turn from them. But what does it mean for God to turn? Now remember that God had been favorable towards the children of Israel. He had delivered them from Egyptian bondage. He had demonstrated His power over the gods of the Egyptians through the ten plagues. And God's blessing, no doubt we could say, was upon the children of Israel at that time. And if we go back to the book of Deuteronomy, let's turn there in the book of Deuteronomy. Before they were about to go into the promised land... Some uh, instruction is given to them in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 8. Notice with me, let's begin reading in verse 1. Deuteronomy chapter 8. 
They're not in the land yet, but they're about to go in. And notice with me in Deuteronomy 8, verse 1, All the commandments which I command thee this day shall ye observe to do, that ye may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord sware unto your fathers. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep His commandments or no. Uh, Why did God bring them through the wilderness wanderings? Because He wanted to know what was in their hearts, or perhaps He wanted them to know how wicked their hearts was. Notice verse 3, And He humbled thee, that's what God did, He humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger, and fed thee with manna. In other words, God brought you to a desert place, but then He fed you. Uh, The Bible says, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Thy raiment waxed not old upon thee, neither did thy foot swell these forty years. Verse 5, Thou shalt also consider in thine heart that as a man chasteneth his son, so the Lord thy God chasteneth thee. Therefore thou uh, shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God to walk in His ways and to fear Him. And the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of brooks and water, of fountains and depths that spring out of the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of oil, olive and honey, a land where thou shalt eat bread without uh, uh, scarceness. Uh, Thou shalt not lack anything in it, a land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills thou mayest dig brass. So God says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to be favorable towards you. But then he says, verse 10, When thou hast eaten and art full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which He hath given thee. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God, in not keeping His commandments and His judgments and His statutes, which I command thee this day, lest when thou hast eaten and are full and hast uh, built goodly houses and dwelt therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply, and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied, and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thine what? Heart. There it is again. That's the issue. And thine heart be lifted up, And thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, verse 15, who led thee through that great and terrible wilderness wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought, where there was no water, and who brought thee forth water out of the rock of Flint, who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee and that he might prove thee to do thee good at thy latter end. And thou say in thine heart, there again, there it is again, the problem. My power and the might of mine hand hath got me this wealth. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is He that giveth thee power to get wealth, that He may establish His covenant, which He sware unto thy fathers, as is this day. And it shall be, if thou do at all forget the Lord thy God, and walk after other gods, and serve them, and worship them, I testify against you this day, that ye shall surely perish as the nations which the Lord destroyeth before your face, so shall ye perish because ye would not be obedient unto the voice of the Lord your God. 
What does it mean for God to turn? It means exactly what we find in the book of Deuteronomy where God says, I've brought you, I fed you, I clothed you, I preserved you throughout the 40 years of wilderness wanderings and I'm bringing you into this land where all this blessing is and I'm going to drive the inhabitants out of you but remember not to turn in your heart from God. Don't allow your heart to be lifted up and said, I've done this. Don't rejoice in the work of your own hands. Submit to God. God says, if you turn in your hearts, He says, you will perish. When man in his heart turns from God, God turns from man. His hand of blessing will depart. His hand of protection will depart. We see uh, uh, the summary here of God's blessing upon the children of Israel. This blessing was undeniable. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, 8 and 9 are really a wonderful reminders of God's faithfulness to the children of Israel. And if the children of Israel turn in their hearts, then God had told them that He would turn away His blessing from them. So this is how God responds to sin. We talked about this morning in Sunday school that God is holy. He cannot look upon sin. His eyes are pure then to behold iniquity. And so God says, I've blessed a people, but now they've gone after other gods. And I cannot abide my blessing and my protection and my blessing upon their crops and their fields and their houses anymore. Because they've turned in their hearts. I'm turning from them. Not only does God turn, we see He turns from sin, but the second thing that God does, if we go back to Acts chapter 7, the Bible says, Then God turned and gave them up. The expression here, gave them up, means to surrender. To yield up, to deliver. You know, if a thief came up to you and asked you to turn over your cash at gunpoint that was in your possession, you can either refuse to give the cash or you can surrender the cash to that thief. Uh, Something that you were protecting now has the potential to be in another man's hands. If you surrender the cash, that cash is no longer under your supervision because it has been surrendered. The things that you wanted to do with that cash can no longer be done because the cash is in the hands of somebody else. And God says, I've blessed you, I've kept you in my hand, I've kept you saved, I've helped you conquer this land, but if you get to the place where in your heart you turn from God, I will give you up. And God did give them up to what? The Bible tells us. He gave them up to worship the host of heaven. You see, God gave the children of Israel a choice, a blessing and a curse. A blessing if they obeyed and a curse if they did not obey. We find that in Deuteronomy 11 verse 27 and 28. This is the, it's illustrated for us, You remember when Israel first entered into the promised land, they defeated Jericho. And uh, God, through Joshua, gave the children of Israel some specific instruction not to touch the treasure that was there in Jericho. 
And according to Joshua chapter 7, the Bible tells us that Achan took of the accursed thing and disobeyed the Lord. What happened to Israel upon Achan's trespass? Well, let's go to Joshua. The book of Joshua and go to chapter 6. What happened because of this trespass? Now you may say, well, that's the trespasses, uh, uh, that's just the trespass of, of one man. It was not the whole nation. Well, notice here what God, how God viewed this. Remember, they're entering into the land and God wants to set a pattern. He, he wants to make His message clear that if you disobey me, then I will turn. And he does so in uh, really at the beginning of their conquering of the land by way of reminder. Did God do this every time an Israelite sinned? No. But he did hear this at the beginning to teach them how he would respond to them. And so we read that Achan, Turk of the treasure, he hid it in his tent. What is interesting, if you go to Joshua chapter 6, notice with me verse 27, or 26 and 27. The Bible says, And Joshua adjured them at that, at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord that riseth up and buildeth his city Jericho. He shall lay the foundations thereof in his firstborn, and in his youngest son shall he set up the gates of it. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was noised throughout all the country. So we have this expression here that the Lord was with Joshua. We understand that God is everywhere present and we can go nowhere to escape the presence of God. But here, when the Bible says the Lord was with him, that means the blessing of God was upon Joshua and the blessing of God was upon the nation of Israel. We saw that in Jericho. The walls came down. God defeated that great and terrible city. And now the Bible says the Lord was with Joshua. But then we read... That after Achan stole the, the, of the accursed thing, they go up and against Ai. This small little city and a small army comes out against them and they, they run away, defeated. And Joshua doesn't understand what is going on. And notice what happens in Joshua 7.10. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up, wherefore liest thou thus upon thy face? Israel hath sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant which I commanded, uh, commanded them. For they have even taken of the accursed thing, and have also stolen, and dissembled also, and they have put it even among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they were accursed. Neither will I be with you any more except ye destroy the accursed from among you. Do you see that? At the end of chapter 6, God says, The Lord was with them, but then Achan took of the accursed thing, and God says, I will no longer be with you unless you deal with the accursed thing. You see, God turned and God gave them up. We read, if you turn with me to the book of Psalms, in Psalm chapter 81, the psalmist declared, declares this same truth. Psalm 81, notice verse 11 and 12. Well, look at verse 10. Psalm 81, verse 10. I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Open thy mouth wide, and I will fill it. That's the blessing of God, the favor of God. Verse 11. But my people would not hearken to my voice. And Israel would none of me. What does that mean? They turn in their hearts. So what does God do? 
So I gave them up unto their own heart's lust. And they walked in their own counsels. Oh, that my people had hearkened unto me, and Israel had walked in my ways. You see, uh, we ask ourselves, what does God give them up unto? Yes, he, he turns from them. His blessing and His favor is turned from them. But here He gives them up, according to the Bible, uh, gives them up unto their own hearts lost. He gives them up unto what? More sin. You see, God in His power, He restrains the sin of man. He, he, uh, His Holy Spirit convicts the heart of man. We have a conscience that is given to us, that produces guilt in us, and God has given that to every man. But here, the children of Israel, as they turned from God in their hearts, and went a whoring after their own lust, and in their pride rejoiced in the works of their own hands because of the wickedness of their heart, God says, you want sin? Go ahead! I'll give you up to all your lust. And I'll show you where that will lead. Why does God give up and say, Man, I'll give you up unto more lust? He does so because He wants man to learn where that sin will lead. We read of that in Romans chapter 1. If you turn there with me in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul here does not deal with the nation of Israel Rather, he deals with all men generally. And the same truth here is applicable in Romans chapter 1. There is no doubt the Bible says that righteousness exalteth a nation. And any nation who would submit to God and who would have a desire to conform to His word would certainly have the favor and the blessing of God. But if that nation would turn from God, then God would gave, give up that nation and turn from that nation and give them up unto their own lust. Notice in Romans 1, we read in verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Verse 24, Wherefore, when they did that, God also gave them up to what? To uncleanness. What do you mean? They were already unclean. To more uncleanness. To the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Verse 26, For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. And we read again one more time, verse 28, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. How does God respond to sin? God turns His face away from sin. He leaves His blessing upon His people, but then He gives them up unto more sin. And He shows them where that will lead. You see, sin always destroys. You could do a study throughout societies and the great nations, the great empires that have risen... And you, you know what has destroyed at every count great empires? Sin. The nation became wicked. 
The way the nation became a consumer nation becomes consumed with worshiping false gods and become uh, become depraved and and the behavior and immorality is abounding and and God says you want to sin I'll give you more of it and you'll see and I'll show you where that will lead. In Deuteronomy chapter four we read, well, if we back in uh, Acts chapter seven we read that he. He gave them up to worship the host of heaven. So God, who wanted His people to worship Him, says, you're rebelling your hearts, you've rejoiced in the works of your own hands, you've uh, led by the passions of the flesh. You know what? You want that? I'll give you that. Go that way and worship the host of heaven. If you remember back in the book of Deuteronomy, that's exactly what God warned them of in Deuteronomy chapter 4. Again, before they were going to enter into the land, in Deuteronomy 4 verse 19, the Bible says, Unless thou lift up thine eyes unto heaven, and when thou seest the sun and the moon and the stars, even all the hosts of heaven, shouldest be driven to worship them, and serve them which the Lord thy God hath divided unto all nations under the whole heaven. He gives warning. He says, that's where you're going to be. You forsake God, you're going to look up to heaven. You're going to begin to worship the sun, the moon, the stars, the heavens. When God gives you up, uh, we could go even to Deuteronomy chapter 17. In chapter 17, the same thing is said. Deuteronomy 17 verse 2 and 3 if there be found among you within any of my gates, which the Lord thy God giveth thee, man or woman, that hath uh, wrought wickedness in the sight of the Lord thy God in transgressing his covenant, and hath gone and served other gods and worshipped them, either the sun or moon or any of the host of heaven, which I have not commanded. He has warned them about this. They were warned about their worship. And so here Stephen reminds the Sanhedrin council in this sermon that the children of Israel were warned that they were turned in their worship because God would get, God gave them up. He says in Acts 7.42 to worship the host of heaven as it is written in the book of the prophets O ye house of Israel have ye offered to me slain beasts and sacrifices by the space of forty years in the wilderness yea ye took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the stars of your God, Rephan, figures which he made to worship them. We think about where does this, if you would, sometimes people have this idea, well, sin is just this innocent thing. As long as I'm not hurting anybody else, just let me live and let me be as I am. But the only problem, as we Bible believers understand, is where that sin leads. It leads to greater wickedness. It leads to greater debauchery. And here, what happened, we read here of the tabernacle of Moloch. God gave them up, but what happened? In the book of Leviticus, chapter 18, verse 21, Moses writes and he says, And thou shalt not let any of thy seed pass through the fire of Moloch. Neither shalt thou profane the name of thy God, I am the Lord. He tells them the same thing in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 2 through 5. He says, And if the people of the land do anyways hide their eyes from man, when he giveth of his seed unto Moloch, and kill him not. 
We read later. You remember during the reign of King Ahaz? He reigned in Jerusalem. Ahaz. The Bible tells us what he did in 2 Chronicles 28 verse 3. Moreover, he, Ahaz, burnt incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom and burnt his children with, with the fire after the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. Jeremiah the prophet prophesied in Jeremiah uh, chapter 7 verse 31 that he says that they have built the high places of Tophet which is the valley of the son of Hinnom to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire which I commanded them not neither came I into my heart. What had happened to them? They were so depraved when God gave them up to more sin. Where did that lead? Where's the end? They had worshipped a God of their own making and to that God of their own making, of their own imaginations, they were offering their own sons and their own daughters to be burned on that altar. How deep and profound wickedness from the children of Israel. We expected that of the other heathen nations, but not Israel. How did they get there? They got there because God gave them up. You want, you want the passions of the flesh? You want the pride to rule in your life? You want to let your heart rule? Then I will show you where that will lead. By the way, the altar of Moloch was spoken of in Leviticus chapter 18. It's not like when they come years later and they offer their children in the fire as if they didn't know or didn't know. That is where God said sin would lead to such debauchery and wickedness. But there's something else that is included in this idea of God turning and giving them up. Amos prophesied to the nation of Israel concerning this. Let's turn to the book of Amos in chapter 8. I want you to see here what Amos told them as he sent of God to prophesy against the nation of Israel because of their deeds. And notice Amos chapter 8 verse 7. <clears throat> Amos chapter 8 chapter, uh, chapter 8 verse 7 The Lord hath sworn by the excellency of Jacob Surely I will never forget any of their works Shall not the land tremble for this And every one mourn that dwelleth therein And it shall rise up holy as a flood And I shall be uh, lashed out, out, out and drowned As by the flood of Egypt and it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord God, that I will cause the sun to go down at noon, and I will darken the earth in the clear day, and I will turn your feasts into mourning, and all your, your, your songs into lamentation, and I will bring up sackcloth upon all, your, all loins, and boldness upon every head, and I will make it as the morning of an holy sun, and the end thereof is a bitter day. Behold... See, he's talking about the end. The end is bitter. You want to go down in sin? I'm telling you, the end is bitter. You may have joy and pleasure and sin for a season, but the end is bitterness. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send famine in the land, not a famine of bread, not a thirst of water, but a, of hearing the words of the Lord. We ask, what happens when, when God turns and when God gives them up, there is a famine in the land. What type of famine? Not of food, not of water, but of hearing the Word of God. That is the, the greatest way in which God can judge man when man turns from Him. He says, you don't want to hear from me. I'll be silent. 
Oh, would to God that that would never happen in this land. That God would stop speaking and send a famine of the Word of God. God gives them up. One of perhaps one of the most sobering passages in all of Scripture. A famine of the hearing of the words of God. It's interesting, after the nation of Israel returned after the 70-year captivity, Malachi was sent for them. We read this morning in Sunday school. They had profaned the temple of God, the holiness of God. Remember that? Guess what happens after that? Remember, the children of Israel had been 70 years in exile. They come back. The walls are rebuilt. The temple is rebuilt. Everything's going great. No! Malachi is sent to preach to them. Say, you've profaned the temple of the Lord. And what happens after that? 400 years of silence before Jesus Christ comes on the scene. 400 years of silence. Why? Because God turned... God gave them up and showed them where their sin would lead. But eventually, Jesus Christ shows up. <laughs> and you know, we've seen here how God deals with sin. We, we see here that God turns from sin. He gives them up to sin. But then, ultimately, He judges their sin. We read in Acts chapter 7, he says at the end, I will carry you out away into Babylon. That is the judgment of sin. So God says, I'm going to turn my favor and my blessing away from you, and I'm going to let you go warring after your own lust, after your own sin. You're going to go see, and you're going to see what the end of that is. And the end of that is a captivity under Babylon, and then there's going to be silence. And there was silence. But then Jesus Christ steps on the scene and Jesus Christ walks upon earth and He says, I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by Me. He continually reminded His disciples that He was going to be betrayed in the hands of sinners and were aware of how God deals with sin. God turns from man. God gives up man unto his sin, unto himself, and then God judges sin. And the interesting thing is we think about the Lord Jesus Christ as His death on the cross, that is exactly how God dealt with His Son. So God says, you want to sin? I'll turn from you. I'll give you up to your sin. And I'll judge your sin. And you're going to see it over and over and over and over again. But here's my son. And when Jesus Christ came, he reminded his disciples that he was going to die. He was going to be betrayed in the hands of sinners. And he was going to die as the atonement for the sins of the people. And if you remember in Acts chapter 2 verse 22, Peter is preaching there to the Jews. And he says, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. So God delivered his son on the cruc- on the cross of Calvary to die for us. But you remember what happened in Matthew chapter 27, verse 46. Jesus Christ is hanging on the cross. The crowd around him is mocking. If you're truly the Son of God, bring yourself down. And you remember what Jesus Christ says as darkness falls upon the earth. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And the interesting thing is you look at the cross of Calvary and you know how God deals with sin. He looked at His own Son and God had to turn from His Son 
Because it is there that He took our sin. It is always how God deals with sin. God cannot look upon sin. And at that moment on the cross of Calvary, all the sin of all mankind, all the filth, was on the Son. And God turned. And Jesus Christ says, Why hast thou forsaken me? You know why? We know why. Because he became sin for us. Who knew no sin? That we might be made the righteousness of God for him. And you know what God did after he turned from his son? Isaiah 53 10 tells us it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. By his stripes we are healed. You see, the Sanhedrin council had missed the glorious truth of all. You remember how God has dealt with our fathers when they rebelled? God turned, God gave them up, and God judged. And that's exactly what God did in the person of Christ. You see, God always responds to sin. It is never left undone. But the greatest truth of the gospel message is that God in His holiness has always responded the same way to sin, even when it came to His perfect Son. And you know why He turned from His Son? So that He might not turn from us. He turned from His Son that He might not turn from all those who believe in Him. And if you're a born-again Christian today, God will never turn on you. Why? Because your sin has been paid full, paid in full. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Praise His holy name that God would do that for us. If you're not a Christian today, would you acknowledge what God did in the person of Christ for you? The Bible tells us in the book of Colossians that Christ blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, nailing it to His cross, and took it out of the way. The wrath, the judgment, and the turning of God happened on the cross of Calvary so that you might be saved. You may say, well, what must I do to be saved? Paul said very simply, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Acknowledge the wickedness of your heart, the depravity of your action and the pride that grips your life and that is what turning you from God. And I say to you, look unto Him and be saved all the ends of the earth. Look and He will save you. And for those of us who are Christians, that is God has dealt with sin. That is how God always deals with sin. We're going to learn later about what happened to the nation of Israel afterwards and, and so on. But may the Lord help us to try to see and to have an understanding as we think about the world and the condition of the world and the, the nations of the world. God is at work. Either blessing or turning. And things sometimes will happen 
perhaps even in this nation, that is promoting and elevating all kinds of filth and wickedness, if God has not already done so, at some point God has to turn and give us up as a nation and see where the judgment comes. You cannot murder thousands of babies every day and go unpunished. It cannot happen. You cannot promote and try to ingrain the minds and the hearts of children in kindergarten and preschool and first and second grade with all kind of gender fluidity and expect that God will do nothing. But we as God's people have a message that message is that there is a God of judgment and sin will always be judged. But the good news is found in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our message. That's Stephen's message to the Sanhedrin Council. Accept the judgment of God in the person of Christ and you will not have to face the judgment of God in eternity in hell. Let's pray.